But what I am going to be talking about this morning is the new series that we have called Humble King. So this all kind of lines up in a way that, that is, is wonderful. I'm old enough so that when people say goat, it still sounds like an insult to me. <laughs> you see, you, you get it too. <laughs> but goat doesn't mean something bad now, kids. What, what is goat? Exactly. Great, greatest of all time. So goat is a compliment. They make these changes without asking me. It's kind of offensive, but I'll, I'll get over it. Um, but if, if you know my story, I used to work around the, the tennis Grand Slams. And so I got to see some of the players and some of the television personalities kind of on and off the scenes. And so one of my favorites of all time was Roger Federer. And I was very upset because this guy right here, Novak Djokovic, came on the scene brazen attitude. I don't know if you guys, did anybody follow tennis? All right, if you don't know tennis, let me explain to you. This guy came on the court. He's got this attitude and this swagger, you know? And so there's been this wonderful gentleman's rivalry kind of between Federer and, and Nadal, these two gentleman players. Novak comes on and he kind of bounces the ball too much. He kind of talks too much. He kind of gets the crowd going and all these things. And he's upsetting my guy, Roger Federer, who's the greatest of all time. Unfortunately, Djokovic now is the greatest of all time. He has more singles titles. He's got all this stuff. But what I will remember about him is this one time, I think this was in New York, and he had just gone off the match. And, uh, and he, had, he had won, because that's what he does. <laughs> and so I was going to the cafeteria, and I saw him, no cameras around, no press. And there was a woman who was clearly uh, in the later stages of cancer. And you can tell if you've known a, a chemotherapy patient, uh, patient, right? And he, this, this woman who he clearly did not know, he had his bag, he had his racket, he had his sweat towels, and he just stopped in the, in the annals of, of, of New York talking to this woman. And I thought, well, that's kind of nice, you know, to see what they do behind the scenes. I went to the cafeteria, I ate my meal. I came out about an hour later. He was sitting down with that woman still in, in an intense personal conversation. Nobody ever picked up the story. This wasn't for the cameras. This wasn't for that. This was somebody who, who had access to the back. And he showed grace and humility and, and engagement with a person that, that really just was there. And, and that hit me in a point that, that really will stay with me. Um, what we're going to be talking about is this new series. It's, it might come up with a few different titles as, as we go through it. Humility as a theme has been coming up consistently in our church for a few months. Um, it's one of those things that, that actually, I, I've, in a lot of ways, I feel like we can maybe feel comforted, but there's a depth, there's a power, there, there's a beauty, there's, there's an engagement that I think has to be mindful of us as we walk this road with Christ. And I think that this is one of those things that will serve us as a wonderful reminder about who we're called to be and how we're called to be this way. I, I narrowly avoided pivoting on this message and, and making it all about awe. And uh, hopefully that'll make a little bit, bit of sense later on. But, but awe is at least going to be one week. And it's a really, I'm excited about that one. Bond's going to be preaching. He has a, a title he likes, The Pruning of Christ's Vineyard. So that might come up as well. We'll keep it as a working title for now, but Humble King. Uh, because I want to keep Christ central. And, and I think it's really important that we're not making our own breed of humility up here. We're actually imitating Christ's humility. There's a scripture, of course, that's going to be a touchstone for us. And so I'm calling it Loosely Humble King of which concerns Ethan that maybe we're going to have to sing the song Humble King more than once. Uh, I don't know. I like that song. Apparently, I'm, I'm not, uh, it's not universal. But what we're going to be using is Philippians 2. Philippians 2 says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement 
from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, and these are things that already, I think, have come up this morning. If you have any encouragement, if there's any comfort, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, not that you're overwhelmed by these things, if those things are a heartbeat, if they're, if they're in the background, if it's a thought, if there's some of this that's coming up in your life, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a wonderful passage. There's so much in there that, that we're going to be picking apart and talking about for the next few weeks. Um, Queen Elizabeth, I, I've, I've talked about her a surprising amount for somebody who's not from uh, England, but, but there's something about the, the, the queen and her life and her story that I, I think has worked its way through all of our, our society and culture, just as a figure, right? It's one of the last royalties, that, one of the, 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 the last kind of kingly, queenly figures that I think we, we can kind of relate to. We'll see how that plays out with her son. Um, but in 1979, uh, somebody else I don't know well, Lady Diana Cooper, who was 86 years old, there was a special event to honor the 100th birthday of the musical benefactor Sir Robert Mayer. Anybody know him? Not me either. At Convent Gardens. During the interval, though, Cooper found herself chatting with an extremely pleasant lady who seemed vaguely familiar. After struggling through some general conversation, Cooper noticed that the woman was wearing magnificent diamonds and it suddenly hit upon her who she was talking to. I sank into a curtsy, she recalled later, and said, I'm terribly sorry, ma'am, but I didn't recognize you without your crown on. The queen, not batting an eyelid, said, well, I thought it should be Sir Robert's evening. That hit me in a wonderful way. The queen of England not wearing her crown because it wasn't her night. There was somebody else that they were celebrating. She didn't want to be the center of, of attention. She didn't want to be the one that everybody was taking photographs of and who everybody was remarking on. So she still had the earrings, apparently. But <laughs> she didn't wear her crown to honor the fact that she wasn't the center of attention. There's a real problem, I think, right now in the world where everybody believes that they're the main character. And, and this has become almost a meme, right, that I'm the main character. Everything's about me and my wants and my desires and all these things. The church is counter to society. We're countercultural in so many ways. And it's, it's the antidote for what the world is experiencing. I, I really do believe that the church, whenever we are acting as the church, when we're acting like Christ, we are the balm that the world needs, where the world is take, take, take. They want to take from the table. They want to take all the forgiveness. They want to take the power. They want to take the authority. They, they want all the benefit of Christ. But all they have to realize is that you could just receive if you're in a posture of humility. If we understand who our Father is, we don't have to compete. 
We don't have to worry about these things, and we can actually enjoy the fullness of life. There's something in common with that, both uh, Novak Djokovic and with the queen um, that I think is so helpful for us. I could talk about the story of Novak where he calls down the kids from the stands and where he plays them one-on-one for like kind of the crowd and lets the kids win, right? We've all seen that stuff, and that's kind of great. That's not really humility, right? You know what I'm talking about there? I was joking with, with Andrew from our church the other day. We were at the Salamanders game. I don't know if you've been to the Salamanders, but Sal will do this thing where he races the kids around the bases. Spoiler, he always loses. <laughs> and I, I told, turned to Andrew. I was like, you know, I'd like him to at least give it a, you know, a shot now and then. Just like, you know, burn one of these five-year-old kids and be like, ah! you know, <laughs> Because you know he's not really giving it his all. He's not really competing. He, he's doing this to, to help the kids feel better. It's all these things. It's a kindness, but it's not really a humility. And I think we have really confused what it means in the world to be humble so that we think we have to hold back. We don't understand how to be bold and authoritative and humble at the same time. We've conflated these things in our our mind that we think, if I'm not being gentle, if I'm not being mannerly, if I'm not letting the kids win, then clearly it can't be a humility. And I think what we're ending up with is a very timid church who doesn't know how to speak, who doesn't know how, how to be our best, because that's what we're called to be. Because we're afraid about becoming brash, we're afraid about becoming prideful, and all these things, and that makes sense. But false humility, a misunderstood humility, has actually choked the life out of so many Christians throughout the years. I believe particularly where Christendom, as we've been talking about in our church for a number of months, where Christendom reigns, maybe again where cultural and and manners prescribe certain social interactions, we've misunderstood humility for gentleness, kindness, or being mannerly. At our worst, we're maybe self-effacing. If you've heard people who think that they're being humble by putting themselves down, right? Or self-demeaning or passivity. I've struggled with this a lot over the years, and I think mainly because the first time that I read Job 38, it really disrupted my life, and I don't even mean this in a little way. This is a, a glimpse of Job 38. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, "'Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge?' Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment? and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it, and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you come and no farther, here's where your proud waves halt. And you think that that's kind of enough. The entire chapter is like this. Have you walked the the, the journeys of the springs of the seas, or walked the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? I'm like, okay, I I got it. I got it. (laughs) God is God in all that he does all the time. Is this our humble king? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And this is a disruptive thought to many of us. God being God, God understanding who he is, is still in bounds for being humble. How can this possibly be? 
Do we even understand what humility is? Because, well, we want him to be gentle. We, we want him to be soft-spoken. We want him to be something who, you know, it's not very disruptive to the status quo. And we think that that's what humility looks like. That it, it comes in this, this thing, but if God's going to be brash, if God's going to be bold, how do we handle that? How do we respond to this? So humility this week we're talking about, humility as a characteristic. I think when we think about characteristics of a Christ follower, we make a few errors. We think people are just born that way. Some people are just gentle and kind and joyful and peaceful and, and humble. And, you know, I'm not sure that I fit that mold. Do I belong even in church if I'm not acting that way? Like, there's some people, that they're just that way, right? Like brown hair or tall or dimpled or whatever. Or we think that they're so dedicated, we think that they've put in the time, that they've done all this work for years and years and years, and they've, they've, they've trained like a bodybuilder, right? That they've, they've learned how to be this way through some very impressive quiet time regime over the years. And to be fair, I think some people, you know, by nature or nurture, are more predisposed to things that we would consider humility. And I think some people do put in a lot of time. But let's th- go back to Jokovic and the, and the queen, right? Nature and nurture, are there. the queen was literally born <laughs> into royalty, There's nothing she could do about that. But she made a choice that night to take off the crown. Novak made a choice to not even go to the locker room yet to clean up, but seeing a person in need to take the time to engage with them as a human, to say, tell me your story. Let me understand what's going on here. There's something going on because it's not so much the characteristics on how they act. It's a deliberate posturing people take a positioning of themselves. I think that this really is the big difference. Everything God said in Job 38 to distinguish himself from man is true. It's true. And then he postured himself as Christ. This is who our father is. And what does he do with that position of power? What does he do with the knowledge he has? He goes to the cross. Do you see the deliberate posturing? It's not that he is God, so therefore you've got to deal with this. It's not this is what it is, and and, and if you don't toe this line, then everything's going to be horrible. It's this is who I am. Now look at what we do together. Look at how I meet you where you are. Look at how we come across the problems of this world by the power of grace and forgiveness. This is the challenge. Is it really characteristic when it's the posturing? That's the setup that I gave you, that when we're talking about humility as a characteristic, we think that it's describing us, right? If it's a characteristic, I think you're describing me or you or these things. It's describing the way that we are one to another. It's describing our our actions. We choose and we posture ourselves to be humble. And if we're not doing that, if we're choosing to posture ourselves as high and mighty, if we're choosing to posture ourselves as, as above it all, as that we don't engage, then we are not being Christ-like. And this is what I'm telling you. Whenever a person is in need, whenever a person is struggling, whenever there's sorrow, whenever there's grief, how beautiful to see the church being with people in grief. Not to offer pat answers, not, not to do a fly-by-night, not, not to try to make, well, that's not my problem. It's really terrible to be you right now. But to engage, whether it's a word, a text message, stopping by, That's everything. That's everything. This characteristic of humility, I think it's characteristic of a Christian's posture. This is a quote from William Temple. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom 
from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. That's a profound thought. I should have put it on the slide. I didn't. I'm going to give it to you one more time. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. That's William Temple from Christ and His Church. Humility is not just the opposite of pride. If we have to define something by its opposite, I'm sorry, that's just a weak definition of things. Good isn't just the opposite of bad. Good has more power than that. It has more substance than that. In Greek, it's easy to see opposites. I, I do have these up here. Atheist means not a theist. Agnostic means not knowing. I have aardvark means not an aardvark. That one's not true. That word doesn't come from the Greek. <laughs> so you can, you can tell Greek is easy to define whenever you've got that A. You can tell it's, it's negating something that comes after it. So if this was the way we were to understand humility, it should mean not pride. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? It would be this word that's only defined by pride. Our call would be don't be prideful. But we're called to something, not away from something. Be like Christ, don't not be like the world. Do you see the difference? We're called to imitate Christ's humility because we're called to, to take the substance of something, to, to put it on, to, to inhabit that space. There's sometimes a space left by the absence of something. I've got the, uh, the FedEx logo here. This is one of my favorite graphic design things. Has anybody seen this before? I don't remember if I've showed this. This is the, the potentially the best logo in the world. And you probably have no idea why. Anybody know where the arrow is in this? All right, show the next one. There we go. You can, oh, you can barely see FedEx. It's still there. But you can go flip back to the other one so people can see it. There's an arrow hidden in the FedEx logo to always show progress moving forward. And it's this, this, this absence of space that you've got there that shows you this. And once you see it, you're, you're probably going to be cursed like me. You see the trucks, and all you see is the arrow. Because they had to enlarge the, the lowercase font there to make it match so you could get that arrow out of there. It's a beautiful thing that shows us the space of things. On a more somber note, sometimes when a person is no longer in a our lives, either through hardship, a relationship, or, or maybe a, a death or a loss or a grief, you can still sometimes feel their presence. You know what I'm talking about? You, you still know, like, from your routine or the things that are done or not done, the responsibilities you have or you don't have, their absence is felt. You know what I'm talking about? This, this idea of recognizing things by their shape, by their form, is kind of a powerful idea. But the Greek word for humility here isn't not pride. It's not the negative space of this. The word is tapenophrosine, which is not going to be on the test. You don't have to worry about that. But it's, it's a very unique word that means lowliness. It's taking a posturing. Do you see the difference again? It's not saying, oh, you're less than. It's not saying you don't have this. It's not saying you're not prideful. It's not saying you're not gifted. It's saying you make the choice to go low. It's saying that's the direction that you take this. And all of a sudden, this whole passage to me opens up about what Christ did. It's, it's, a, it's not so much talking about humility in the way that I think about with the world, but it's talking about Christ coming down low to our level, maybe even below our level, to lift us up as he goes back up. 
joining with us where we are, that we can rise with him out of the grave, joining with us at our worst points, not to negate them, but to be with us in them, to change the whole story, to, to, to say where you're at, I'm going to be there with you, and we're going to go someplace together from there. Too many Christians, particularly the disenfranchised, historically are taught that humility is at the cost of preserving our customs or our manners, our social order, these pleasantries. And we've lost the boldness and humility that Christ has shown us. This posturing matters. Going back to Philippians, the point isn't that God is honored and well represented by Christ being small, slight, insignificant, and then dying. That is not the best story ever told. But you could see from a certain vantage point, that's how people might talk about it. Oh, he was a carpenter. He lived, he taught some things, he had 12 friends, he died, and that was it. Right? If that were the story, what is the point of humility? But that's not the story. The humility matters. The Greek is very interesting. The Greek says that he emptied himself first. Before going low, he emptied himself, kind of like that negative space. But what did he empty himself of? If we think about emptying ourselves, we're thinking about, well, all the bad things. I want to get rid of all, all the negative things that, that are bad here. What did he empty himself of? His divinity. He emptied himself of the best thing that there could be. This is an amazing passage talking about how Christ emptied himself to come low to us. And this is why when we think about fasting, when we talk about Lent, I'm always bothered when people take Lent as an opportunity to stop sinning. Stop sinning now. <laughs> like, don't wait for Lent to be like, well, I'm no longer going to look at porn. I'm no longer going to you know, cheat on my taxes. I'm no, what, stop it now. <laughs> like, that's not the point. But what's so amazing about Lent, what's so amazing about fasting, is that we say there's more to this story. There's something better. I need to empty myself of myself. I need to get rid of these things that are so distracting to me because I'm so clogged up by, by this, this focus that I can see him. And that's what Christ showed us. He emptied himself of the divinity, and then God lifted him up. So why is this worthy of a sermon, much less a, a, a series? It's because our, our posture, our positioning positions us so well. Have you ever felt like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? Have you ever felt overlooked or invisible? You ever felt like you're sidelined from maybe the main story that's going on? Often this is this weird influx of pride versus humility of feeling like I should be, I should be in the center of that attention or I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Or maybe, maybe we just want to be a part of what God is doing today. Maybe we want to be Christ-like. Maybe we want to honor God and his people. Or maybe we have cost ourselves peace and joy because we're too prideful. Maybe the rat race has burned us out because we think we need to take rather than receiving. And all of these things, humility, Christ-likeness, brings us to the posturing where we need to be as the church. It's the positioning to encounter God. It's the positioning to receive the blessings. It's the positioning to receive authority. It's the positioning we need to take so that whatever we do is not just the best I can do with my own two hands. It's the posturing to say, there's a greater story, and let me show you the way. Because the posturing we can take by ourselves is insufficient. 
But what Philippians there tells us is that when, the, when Christ had humbled himself, then, therefore, the Father lifted him up and gave him the name above all names. Scripture tells us again and again that God is with the humble, the lowly, the lost, the meek. But Christians position ourselves often as the first in line with the loudest microphone. I say that as I'm up here on stage with a microphone. The, the problem, I think, comes down to my, my first grade classroom. And, and this was a, a Christian school. Loved it. They taught us a lot of wonderful things. But one of the things that we learned is not necessarily what they were teaching us. Uh, there was a line that we'd always go to, like, whatever it is, the, the, the bathrooms or to the water fountain or to the cafeteria. You know, and as kids do, you, fush, you push and, and fight to be in the front of the line, right? Well, our teachers were very smart. They knew scripture, and they took the kid in the front of the line and moved him to the last and the last to the front. Scripture says that, right? The first will be last, and the last will be first. And so it took us about two weeks to be like, I'm going to push to be at the end of the line. <laughs> so we had this fight in our classroom to try to be at the end of the line, and the teachers would just kind of do it randomly, to, you know, whether or not they would do that. But we thought we could outsmart the system. Was there ever actually any humility being taught in any of that? We just learned a different way to fight right? We just tried to find a different way to position ourselves to create this appearance of humility so that we just thought that maybe then still I could get the attention. Maybe then I can still get the posturing that I want so I can get what I want out of this life. There's no posturing. We're trying to work the system. Back to Novak Djokovic and the Queen. I think that they were legitimately posturing themselves to not be noticed. I think in those those very rare scenarios, right, the, these people who have power and prestige and talent and all that stuff, they're posturing themselves to not be noticed. They were free from thinking about themselves one way or the other. Are they perfect models of humility? I don't believe so. <laughs> but those moments described their posturing there. And I think that that's the thing. If we think that we are going to be humble or prideful, if we think that that's going to describe us, let it instead describe the actions that we take ourselves. Let us be free from worrying about ourselves that way. Instead say, I'm going to act humbly. I'm going to imitate Christ. I'm going to posture myself low because I don't even trust my own heart. I don't even trust my own mind, but I know I can go low. I know I can posture myself in a way that will allow me to meet with God there so that I can be lifted up. Christ did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That, that, that's the, one of the most profound thoughts I can have. He had equality with God. He was in the Trinity. Christ had this. And he didn't want to use that for his own advantage. He wanted to give that advantage to us. He gave that advantage away. So therefore, the scripture says, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. So why do we have to go down low just to be picked up? If I'm good, if I'm already up here, why should I have to, to go low and lower myself? Christ did it already, right? It's all covered. We carry our stories with us. We carry our experiences with us. They flavor us. We bring that fragrance wherever we go, and pride stinks. I, I don't know if you've met somebody who positions themselves to always be in the front of the line, if you've met some, uh, somebody who positions themselves to always be the loudest, who positions themselves to always receive the first of whatever it is. If you ever go to the, 
to the park and you feed the ducks, you know, and there's always one who's right there. You know what I'm talking about? And what, what do most good humans do? You try to not give it to that duck, <laughs> right? You find the guy who's on the side who looks a little smaller than the rest, and you're like trying to give him the bread and that the big one in the front is still pushing him out. Pride stinks, and we know it innately. We have this, this heart to try to make sure that, that those who need it, that's the part of us that I think is celebrating the gospel. I think it's humanity to realize that this is the goodness of God. This is the goodness that reached me. God is working in that place where the need is great. If we're at the banquet table already, are we just staying there and trying to get fat at the banquet table? Jesus came down to meet me where I was. And when we see now the work that Jesus still wants to do, am I positioning myself to continue that work? Or am I trying to say, well, you, you, you get that one, Jesus. I'll, I'll stay back here. So maybe it's character. Maybe it's characteristic of our posture, and we're formed by that. Spiritual formation really matters. Obedience, following Jesus, copying his model. James 4, 6. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Isaiah 66, this is what the, the Lord says. Heaven's my throne, the earth is my footstool. Again, this is not God being prideful or boastful. This is God being honest. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where's the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being? Sounds like Job 38, declares the Lord. These are the ones that I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word, because he comes low. That position, God is only humble because he knows who he is. Because from that position of all knowledge, of all power, he chose to become like us. The point isn't to fit into a Christ-like mold. To not be who God made you to be. To not be the best at all that you can be. But to be postured to meet with God. To learn from God, to work with God, to enjoy God. Spiritual formation is not an end in itself, but it's a road to more, to being prepared, to enjoying life more, to going deeper. I'm going to close with just this, this really brief story that I heard somebody talk about that just related to me so much. As a little kid, I don't know if you ever went to like the community swimming pool. We had the Bel Air Swim Club where I lived in Pennsylvania. And I remember going there, and you would look and you would see the, the, the kids, the older kids, the cooler kids down at the deep end of the pool playing Marco Polo or whatever the, the cool kids do. This was the 80s that, you know, Marco Polo is as cool as we got. And, you know, they're having a great time. And I got the floaties on, you know. And you're like, this is not as fun as those kids. And you're sad about it. And you're looking down there with longing and envy and jealousy of like, man, I want to be a cool older kid, right? And then one day, you know, you are a cooler older kid. In some case, cooler than others. I, don't, I won't put myself on that spectrum. But you see this, and all of a sudden, you realize I'm the kid at the end of the pool. And you know what you find? It's better. Right? It is more fun in the deep end of the pool, <laughs> right? It's one of those things that gets better. That's what humility, that's what spiritual discipline, that's what the spiritual formation allows you, is to have life to the fullest. It's not that it, it's not going to be as good as you hoped. It will be better. You look at that spiritual maturity, and you're like, they can get rocked by a wave, but somehow they're still standing. How is that possible? That even in the midst of grief, 
they somehow still have joy. How is it that hope is still a heartbeat no matter what's coming in there? What is going on? They're the kids in the deep end of the pool. They've been formed by this. It's not that those waves don't come, but spiritual formation matters. It's not an end to itself, but it allows us to be postured to receive, to have a full life, to be who Christ has called us to be, to continue the work today.